A word from our sponsor, Von Seger Designs is a small Nebraska custom woodworking business making hand-burned customized wood pieces to be a statement in any room. Working with clients every step of the way, from hand-selecting the wood to customizing the design Von Seger Designs makes the process as smooth as possible. Specializing in items from themed bar carts and tables to cutting boards and signs so that you can show your team pride all year round. Show your Husker support in a unique and functional way. When you work with Von Segrin Designs, you support small businesses throughout the region. Allow Von Segrin Design to create a custom, fresh, hand-burned piece wood for your home or business. You can link up with them at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-D-N-E-S-I-1 and at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-N underscore designs. So check them out on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. Uh, go Big Red, and uh, let's start the podcast. to throw down toward the goal line going up ball tipped in the air touchdown Jordan Westerkamp Nebraska wins the game on the final play of the contest oh baby option far side back to throw is Martinez now being chased throws it out a flat Burkhead makes a catch sits a tackle 25-20 Rex Burkhead touchdown Nebraska Starting with our COO and our creative director, Richard Fitzwell. Welcome to the Church of the Corn. My name is Richard Fitzwell. You can follow me on Twitter at corn underscore Huskers for nothing insightful, nothing that's probably accurate. Uh, A lot of retweets from a pretty good circle of other Husker fanatics and just bleeding big red. A lot of shit posting there from the Richard Fitzwell account. I am your CFO and your marketing coordinator, Drake. You can follow me at Drake before Degrassi for a lot more shit posting. Also, to my right, the man, the brains behind the operations, your poor man's macho man slash not poor man's Matt Davison, our CEO, the brains behind the operation. And your chief outreach officer, Zach. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, Official University of Nebraska Uber driver, also at N-E-B-H-Y-P-E-M-A-N, Nebraska Hype Man. Uh, That's where you can find me at on there for just random shit. So uh, appreciate you guys all joining us, and uh, let's get after it, guys. The Corn Podcast, this is Fitz, and we have with us tonight... Drake, how are you doing tonight, Drake? I'm doing well, Fitz. How are you, buddy? 
Um, I'm, uh, after uh, after the game this afternoon, I think everyone in uh, Husker Nation's uh, feeling a little bit better, uh, especially over the basketball season. So uh, hopefully we can carry it into our episode tonight. And Zach, you're here with us. How are you doing? Did you see that fucking win earlier today? That was awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, something like something like that. I told everybody gonna, on Twitter I was going to swear. So. You got, that, you got that out of the way now? Okay, yeah, very good. I, everybody All knew right, I was well, going to do it, so it, it was out of anger at the refs earlier. Now it's out of positivity because we, you know, they beat a top-10 team. Why wouldn't I say it? Yeah. Well, that is fantastic. a great way to start. All right, we are excited to uh, have joining us in the church tonight the managing editor of Hale Varsity magazine and um, – online masterpiece that is Hale Varsity again. Uh, this is uh, Brandon Vogel. Welcome to the Church of the Corn podcast, Brandon. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks Thanks for having me. I debated whether I should say how long it's been since I've been to church, but it might reveal too much about me, so I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it, I'll leave it at that. This, uh, this is a different kind of church. <laughs> That's why I'm here, maybe. Um. <laughs> it's it's more of a sickness than than anything else, and I think uh, yeah. Once we get into some numbers and stuff later, people will start to figure out exactly what we're talking about. Can you give Can us a little bit of that? Oh, the. <laughs> no, we didn't tell him about that part yet. Uh, we got to get through the. We have to get through the ten minute window, and then we can because they can't exit. If we can get him past 10 minutes, Drake, so hold off on the okay. cold talk. Can you give us a little bit of background on, on Hale Varsity? Um, I, I've been you know, following for a while, um, proudly a, uh, a subscriber, both in print and online. And, and with the way things have gone with print magazines and stuff, kind of uh, that change, it's, it's very impressive. But, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like the, the pictures – that you guys take and, and where that started really drive the content versus the content supported by pictures. Is that, is that a passion of yours? Is that how you start, how it got started? Yeah. I mean, we didn't launch as a magazine solely devoted to photography, but we have always been very passionate about photography, I guess would be the way to put it. So, uh, Hale Varsity launched in 2012. Uh, we were 16 issues a year back then and our publisher and founder um is a a great a great person and a great friend of mine um but also a great photojournalist uh by the name of Aaron Babcock and this was kind of his passion um and and I I felt very fortunate I didn't have a ton of credits to my name at that at that point in my in my career um but found out that Hale Varsity was kind of coming down the pike that you know Aaron had this dream to kind of launch a new Nebraska-centric publication and really cared about design and photography is certainly a piece of that, but also kind of the quality of, you know, we can get super nerdy here and just talk about like the paper quality and what kind of paper you choose to use and how those magazines are bound. And I won't take you guys through all of that, but it was something that really resonated with me. And um, so we launched in 2012 doing 16 issues a year. You know, and that was that was kind of based on, you know, the old Husker Illustrated model, the, the, the magazine that's been around forever. You know, it used to come out every week. 
So that's what we started doing. During football season, we put out a magazine a week, which I don't even know how we did that now. It, it seems insane because now we do it once a month, which is a frequency that I think naturally suits us. You know, we try to get some stories that are really evergreen, like kind of classic magazine stories, not the thing that has to get out there right now um, and, and be absorbed on Twitter, but something you can sit with a little bit because you're, you're right. Like, I mean, everybody knows it. The, the media landscape for, for print products is it's been shrinking for a long time and it's tough. And a couple of years ago, I think it was the 2019 football yearbook uh, was our 100th issue. That was a milestone that meant a, a lot to me. And, you know, now we're probably closer while well, we're about over 130 now. Um, so to have been around for this long is a credit, I think, really to the passion of Nebraska fans um, because it's a hard sell. And, 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 you know, you can't pretend that it's not uh, no matter how good or how good I think the magazine is or how good it actually is. It's just hard. You know, it's, it's a different media landscape. So I feel very fortunate to continue to put one of these out every month. Well, I know the just the concept of what we know is like that coffee table uh, magazine, that coffee table book. But just the just the just the actual. You talked about it before, but the size of the magazine uh, it's a little bit bigger than your your standard magazine. The paper quality it really does feel like you've got this glossy print picture, you know, in in your hands. Um, did you did the yearbook did the yearbook start in in year one because I know that's the yearbook and then um, the covers have been really a huge um, and whether it was intentional or not but it just kind of seems like it it set itself above what anything else was being put out there. Yeah, so we we did do a yearbook right away that first year. You know, it is kind of our our flagship product, I guess. Um, it's a word I try not to use because it doesn't feel like a product to me, but I mean, ultimately it is at, at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, we did a, we did a yearbook that, that first year and you know, it's, I, I love working on that thing. It's, it's a ton of work. You know, that thing has been in the past as big as 200 pages and it's, it's really designed to be something that takes some time to absorb. I write all of those opponent previews. I spend a ton of time on it because I love, I love doing that. I love like picking up and looking at, you know, much less the big 10 teams. Like I love kind of trying to break down, okay, well, what's Michigan state's deal going into 2022, but also the non-conference teams, you know, those are the teams that maybe take a little bit more time to, to dig into because you don't see them every year and you may not be able to watch them every week, but I love that part of it. You know, it's really one of those cases where, I'd probably be doing this on my own in my spare time if I wasn't fortunate enough to to need to do it to to try and produce something that that has some value for people. And I mean that's that's always the goal. It, I, I want it to look beautiful. I want it to be well designed. But at the center of it all, the hope is really, particularly for that yearbook, is that it can be a tool for for Nebraska fans who want to know more. And I mean, it's it's tough because Nebraska fans already know a ton uh, about Nebraska football, so that's always a challenge. Brandon Drake here. Uh, as we're looking at that yearbook and you're getting it ready coming into the season, what is a season that like Michigan State had today this year that was a total turnaround? How how hard is it for you guys to project that? I mean, where were you guys standing on that? 
Um, do you guys look for some of those some of those details, or, or you know, you're just doing what everybody else does? <laughs> yeah, um, I spend a lot of time looking at that, and I will not claim to have seen Michigan State coming. I thought I thought Michigan State going into 2021 was kind of a classic year zero situation, had a ton of turnover. And, you know, the, the COVID year was the COVID year. It was, it was strange for everybody. But it, it felt to me like, okay, well, here's the first chance Melton's actually going to get to, you know, really do it. I mean, they didn't show up there until February. That's when he was hired going into that year. And then the entire sporting world, like, basically shut down. It was insane. Um, so didn't see that one coming. Northwestern was a team that um, I personally – took the under on their, their season win total the day that it came out. I was very – I mean, this wasn't that hard to see coming. Like, Northwestern lost a ton. And so when I look at teams in the preseason or the offseason, I guess, it's really kind of a, a two-pronged approach. One is which I look at – I try to determine how good a team actually was, quote-unquote. And – you can do that by looking at just their points scored and points against, and there's you can model that for does their win total add up to that. Nebraska is a very interesting example of that coming off of last year. Yeah, I'm going to have a two-part follow-up, but keep going. Yeah, yeah, and um, then there's there's returning production, which, you know, a ton of credit to Bill Connolly of ESPN, used to be at SB Nation, created the SB Plus ratings. You know, he's, he's really revolutionized, I think, the way college football in particular is, is kind of viewed. And so you just – I take those two things, and I'll literally put them all on a spreadsheet and just color code teams and say, well, here's, here's a point differential that indicates they were better than their record, and I'll code that green all the way down, you know, to red. Um, and I'll do the same for returning production. And you kind of look for those teams that are green, green or red, red. If you're, you're looking for teams that are probably getting overvalued a little bit. So I guess now it's a three part question. Obviously now looking at last year, Nebraska is like shining neon green with that point differential. Um, but so shit, now I lost part of my train of thought. Uh, um, when you're looking at that, right. And you're seeing those point differentials. What stat kind of was the most bonkers to you regarding Nebraska this year? What was the most abnormal apart from losing every game by one score? <laughs> and then, um, as you break down those stats, because as a fan, it's a little bit frustrating. Is it frustrating for you as a stat guy to see that kind of turnaround that Mel Tucker has and wonder why not us? Why hasn't Scott seen that success? That does start to creep in with Nebraska for a bit because for, for a while because I feel like they've been here at multiple points over the past, you know, decade plus where they have that profile of a team that looks like that might be a green, green team to use that system that, you know, I use. And you're like, okay, here, here's your chance to, to make a move. And it just it, it hasn't happened, and it felt it has felt so far like the frost era has been a lot of that. So this is going to get. I'll, I'll try to like not make this super boring, but the, Bill James, the kind of godfather of sabermetrics in baseball, came up with something called the Pythagorean Wind Theorem, 
for, for baseball. And it's just taking run differential and you, you change the exponent and you can basically do it for every sport. So all it's saying is like, well, teams that outscore their opponents by X uh, typically win this percentage of games. I had that for college football going back to 2007. And Nebraska was nearly four and a half wins below projected, which is far and away the highest of that's almost 1,600 individual college football seasons from 2021. So, you know, it's not a stat that might be commonly out there, but I've just like, I look at this every year for every team in college football. And to see Nebraska be the one that's up here at basically four and a half, like there, there's very few teams that are even over three. In fact, I have it written down here somewhere in a notebook. Twelve teams, twelve teams since 2007 have been higher than three. Nebraska is the only one over four. Is that so? When you look at when you look at that number from 2007, you know uh, wins wins above expectation type of thing. What? How what's that what's that graph look like in terms of you know you said Nebraska is the only one that's been over three is there is it a, a one or two year and then there's there's always blips in that or I mean I it, it's not gonna I'm sure some teams stay down some teams stay up and then there's the it's more volatile in the middle but what is I guess what does that projection tell you for Nebraska going into next year Yeah so. Um... You know, that that middle is really between one and a half wins above and below. So like if you're if you're there, you're kinda like, yeah, just that's where the average college football team are, you know, probably two thirds of college football teams are there. And the ones at the very top are, you know, unfortunate, unlucky, however you want to term it. The ones at the bottom, probably a little fortunate and unlucky. So really for me, this starts with those teams that are a win and a half below their projected total. Since 2007, 75% of those have improved their win total. And, I, you know, that's super basic. Like, if we're talking about Nebraska, you know, improving by one win isn't going to move the needle probably. Um, but that's that's what that number is. You, you bump that up to the three-win mark. You've only got 12 teams, so small sample size. But 11 of those have improved their win total the following year. I think I'm trying to remember what year – it was. It was a Mississippi State team. It was a Mississippi State team after they, you know, that team that climbed number one for a second and, like, lost a ton of close games to ranked opponents and then basically lost everybody. They sent a ton of guys to the draft. And that's the one team that did not improve the following year, despite the fact that they were better than, I think, their 10-3 and record indicated. Okay. Now, there was a, no- a Notre Dame team. I think it was, like, 20. 20- 2015, 2016, very similar to Nebraska this year, hey, even down to the point where they fired a ton of their staff, um, and then they had a hell of a turnaround. Do you know which team I'm talking about specifically? I, I, I do. I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was it was like that Brian Kelly like down year for whatever reason. Yeah. And then I think it was it might have been right before they made their first playoff, if, if I'm remembering correctly, but Yes, you know, and, and they and are. Anti-Teo's fake girlfriend and. <laughs> yes. Uh, had to whoa, 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 whoa. We don't know that yet, Drake. Don't, we're not, we're not here about rumors and, and innuendo. We don't just, let's take that easy. No, everybody knows it was fake. I don't know. Okay, fake. we'll talk later. <laughs> 
yeah, that Notre Dame team is, is, is one of those, you know, again, uh, there's not a ton of teams <laughs> that do what Nebraska did last year. And then you take out even some, some G5 teams, not because they're not comparable. They're just not totally comparable. And, you know, so you look at that piece of it for Nebraska and you're like, if, you, if this was just generic FCS East, you know, old NCAA football video game, like it's a team I would just expect to be better. I would expect it to be probably at least two and a half wins better the following year. We'll see if that ends up being the case for Nebraska because the returning production piece of this kind of puts them back down in the middle of, you know, for college football teams. It's not great, but it's not so bad that you would automatically say, well, they're due for a downturn, like say Northwestern going into 2021. Now does the, the returning quote unquote production is, do they get a boost with a Casey Thompson coming in if he wins the job or how does, how does that factor in? Yeah. And that, that's still a piece where um, people are trying to figure that part of it out. So I, I know uh, with Bill Connolly, I, with his numbers, he, he is trying to work in in transfers, though I think, you know, with the, his initial release of those, which came out in early February, you know, he noted that um, he wasn't factoring in FCS transfers, which probably makes, makes sense in 99% of the time. But you think about if you hadn't done that with Samori Toure, uh, in 2021 for Nebraska, you know, that's, that's a significant thing. There's another one that's basically based heavily on what a lot of groundwork that Connolly had laid from the Action Network that tries to weight all transfers um, based on how they kind of fit with the, the, the new school they're going to. It's, it's pretty interesting, and that's the one I've been using this offseason. Um, and so that one does at least try to account for a Casey Thompson or, a, you know, I say a Garcia Castaneda for, for Nebraska wide receiver. So it's, it's still like people are and in a lot of ways, much less just kind of the college football analytic piece of it. People are still trying to get a handle on, on the transfer portal and what it means. I mean, like a lot of these numbers I mentioned with, you know, kind of scoring differential, Maybe those are different now in a transfer era because you can upgrade your team in a way that wasn't possible before. You wrote at uh, at the end of the season, which was after the Iowa game, the article that you wrote in Hill Varsity. You, you kind of broke everything down, and you within giving us a little bit of the, the game script. You then kind of added in percentages and, and numbers and loss of production and things like that. In your mind, is that Iowa game a perfect summation of the season as a whole? I mean, just you had a special teams gafu, blunder, whatever you want to call it. You had you had opportunities in the red zone that just didn't amount to anything. A fumble, you know, you were you 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 weren't as bad in the turnover department, but yet it still didn't go your way. Is that is that a, a good way to look at the season as a whole? Like, hey, if you wanted to see what was going on from Brass football, everything that happened, you can see again in the Iowa game. It was it. I don't know how to even think about that. Yeah, and that and that's it's been the story for Nebraska football for for really most of this regime, which is the bizarre thing, particularly for a person like myself who, who looks at these things. So things like, like turnover margin can be pretty volatile and random. 
yet Nebraska is on like a 20-year tear of defying the odds in the wrong way uh, uh, with, with just turnover behavior. It's not even like, you know, just being fumble-prone, though I think having a running quarterback for a lot of those years, you know, and two of them, two Martinez's who were prone to fumbling, you know, certainly uh, contributed to that. But still, like over a long enough span, you expect that stuff to even out. And, you know, red zone production is it's something that, you know, every coach in the world like plans for it and does the best they can with it. But that can be pretty volatile year to year. So there's <laughs> it, it's weird because I, I really try to focus on with with football, the, the things that can be replicable year to year. And some of those stats that are like, okay, well, if you're good, you're going to be good at this. If you're bad, you're not. And turnover margin and, and things like that typically aren't one of them. Even like third down conversion can be really random, you know, when you get into it and, and highly subject to just your average third down distance, which which makes sense, of course. So the story of Nebraska football for the past four years is I've looked at them, I think, every offseason and be like, well, I do. I still do believe it. I think they've gotten better every year. It just hasn't been reflected in the in the win total, and you know that's a really difficult problem to solve. Like, why is that the case? What do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir there, Brandon. Uh, I mean, I I don't think there's any realistic fan, any any non-biased fan, and I know that's bullshit to say because we're all biased, right? But there's no way that anybody can really look at this last season and say that's not a better product on the field than previous years. There's no way. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And, I mean, you know, the way my mind works, and, like, I, I look at a ton of power ratings, and, you know, they're all just formulas and models, but they're, they're based on something. Um, you know, so you could put numbers to that if you want to, but you don't need to. You can just, you know, watch them and, and see. Like, you know, there's no reason for, for Nebraska to do what it did against Wisconsin. Uh, but it did, you know, particularly that game, just everything they were coming off of and, and the coaching staff change, the, the shakeup before that. Uh, Adrian, <laughs> you know, uh, just all, all of that stuff. And it's it's been that way for for such a long time. You know, Frost talked after the Illinois game, the loss to Illinois this year, and I kind of took exception with it because, you know, here we were at the start of year four talking about, you know, we just haven't gotten that spark, et cetera, et cetera, which I think is true, but in, in, it, it would be interesting to see what would happen if Nebraska did get that because I think momentum does matter. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to win – forever, as, as Pete Carroll put it in, in his book, uh, it, it's really about kind of reducing those unknowns and being able to generate that for yourself. Because if you're waiting for a little bit of good fortune, which I would argue Nebraska hasn't had a ton of, um, you're just not that active. It doesn't feel like you're taking that active role in your ultimate success. And it, it's going to be tough because then you are just subject to random bounces of the ball and random things happening. Uh, Brandon, quick question for you with your, uh, you know, most recent article about uh, Adrian Martinez when he jumped in the portal, kind of like what he went through, his phone getting blown up five minutes after he's, you know, in the portal for taking five phone calls within an hour and a half, including a bunch of Big Ten teams reaching out to him. 
we obviously have a big time transfer portal quarterback as well. What do you think it was like? Uh, do you think the situations mirrored each other with what Martinez and Thompson went through? Completely different. Uh, what 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 do you think the uh, recruitment period was like for Casey Thompson up here? I, I would guess, and you know, I haven't had the opportunity to to speak to him yet, but I would guess it was pretty similar. Like if if you're a quarterback who is who, you know, with some demonstrated ability as a starter, uh, much less a power five starter at a program like Texas, which, you know, hasn't been Texas for a while, but, you know, join the club, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's going to be that demand. And I, and I think, you know, because we're so early in, I mean, it still feels early to me in the transfer portal era that, coaches and staff and all these support staff that people bring in to help with this are still trying to figure out like what's their approach to this so i think they probably take cast a pretty wide net and like if you know you're looking for a quarterback you probably reach out to most quarterbacks that that come out certainly most power five starting quarterbacks i would guess that adrian probably had a little bit more interest just because i mean he's he's a four-year starter you know, and it, it was interesting. He, he said on his podcast, which was kind of the basis for that story, you know, he heard from Big Ten teams, um, and, you know, based on some of the conversations we saw post game uh, from Nebraska games this year, we can probably guess who some of those teams might have been. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll give him I'll give him credit. He said, you know, I I had some of those meetings and I said, I'm not going to go that way because if I'm going to transfer, like I want to go someplace new and, you know, play some new opponents and do something different, uh, which, you know, makes it a lot easier, I think, on, on Husker fans, certainly, uh, but probably better for him, too. That's that's the way I would have done it if I had been anywhere near good enough to to be a Division One quarterback. You, uh, you mentioned previously saying that, you know, waiting for momentum uh, to – or not, sorry, but waiting for that little bit of good fortune, sorry – um, and if that's what you're hoping for, that might not be the best way that, to go about, you know, putting things together and, and leading you uh, and, you know, talk about the, the experience you had. You wrote a book with uh, Coach Cook, the Nebraska volleyball coach, Dream Like a Champion. And um, that's really focused on leadership. And I know that when he was on Terry Pettit's staff, Terry Pettit said, you know what, you got to go away. You know, this is going to be the best thing. You've got to grow as an individual. I look at it now, and he's been he's been at University of Nebraska, just finished his 21st season uh, coaching the Huskers. And you, you hear about it all the time, that Coach Cook is somebody that's continually developing himself as a leader, developing himself as a person. Um, you know, he makes some tough ch- some tough choices as far as starters go and rotations and, and all of that. Looking at Scott Frost still in a in a little bit of a younger he's, he's younger doesn't have the, nearly the amount of experience. Do you are you seeing Frost kind of going that direction? I know people throw out that CEO label, but do you see him growing as a leader? Do you see him growing as that taking over the entire program, not just being from Nebraska? national champion, undefeated at UCF, those types of things? Or is this, obviously, it's still a work in progress. Anything that you can kind of take out of that and say, hey, this is what, you know, the future looks bright because of this, this, or this? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the steps that they've taken, which were, you know, unfortunate on a personal level, because people lost their jobs. And, you know, people that, you know, members of the Nebraska media got to talk to and get to know pretty well. And, and that's a tough piece of it. And I know it wasn't easy for, for Scott to have to make those choices. But, you know, that on its own represents, I think, in my mind, a little bit of growth. And it's, it's, it's really hard because, you know, one of the things I think I learned in, in doing that book with Coach Cook is we look at these successful coaches or even before they're, you know, successful and think, well, like, oh, they've got the system. This is what they do. Um, this is how you do it. Here's the blueprint. I mean, that's kind of the purpose of writing a book like that, right? Is to like share <laughs> how they did it. And there's, you know, across sports, like thousands and thousands of those books. I read a lot of them just preparing for, to write that book. Um, so I would know what was out there. But the thing that struck me from writing that was Coach Cook talked a lot about being adaptable and realizing somewhere in the 2010, 2011 range that he needed to change what he did. And I mean, Nebraska was super successful then and they've remained super successful. I don't know if you can say it's because he, he chose to, to do things a little bit differently, but the fact is he, he did. And I think that is really the marker of, of what keeps these coaches successful over a long time. I mean, you look at Nick Saban, and, you know, he's a larger-than-life guy, and he has every detail down. And anybody that comes to work for him is going to do it his way. But the fact is, you know, he he still has to change coaches constantly because that's become like the, you know, the Harvard Law School of, of football coaching. It's just where you go if you if you, you think you're getting best and brightest. And sometimes it's worked out. Um, the degree to which it has worked out at Georgia so far still amazes me a little bit. Um, not because I didn't think Georgia would be good, but it's just, you know, there's so many of these. I mean, Georgia fired Mark Rick, who was winning nine, nine games a year, and, like, that never works out. But it did. It did this time. Um, so Nick Saban, he was famously saying, is this what we want football to be? Talking about, like, up, up-tempo offense and all that stuff. Well, he doesn't want it to be that way. I presume still, but he made that switch. Lane Kiffin helped him upgrade their offense to to what works today. And two seasons ago, they put forth one of the best offensive seasons ever. So that adaptability piece of it is is really key. And I think, you know, and I mean, I did a ton of this when Frost was coming from UCF. Like, let's find out what they're about. How did they build their culture? What are they doing offensively? What are they doing defensively? What are their goals? And the longer I go in this, the more I kind of realize, I think, like, that's all good. You've got to have a solid plan and you've got to be good at what you do. But you can't be like, well, this is our recipe and we've been making this recipe for 14 years and we're never going to change it. That is, that's, yeah. a, that's a great way to look at it because, you know, comparing, you know, you use Nick Saban standing alone at the top and then, you know, you've got your coaching trees and everything's working up to, to, to be there. But even in Nebraska history, you know, famously you go back to the bowl games in the, in the eighties and, and late eighties and early nineties where Tom Osborne just wasn't. And it was, Hey, we need to get, we need to get bigger and faster here. And it was at the cornerback position. They just weren't matching up that speed. They had 
they had the power, they had all of that. And then Bo Pelini transitions from the, the, the Big 12 going to the, and they start to change a little bit about how they recruited and what they needed to do. Um, and I'm wondering then if we're seeing with receivers, for example, with, with Coach Frost, if we're seeing, you know, you mentioned the coaching changes and kind of what they're doing, if we're going to start to see that as well that, you know, we all we all kind of looked at. Hey, this is what UCF was doing. How could we how could we take that compared to um, the American Conference versus Big Ten play? Do you think we're going to continue to see that um, adaptability, as you said, with how he looks at players and his system, or is it still going to kind of be his thing and his system? And let's just keep making it better. Yeah, the the offense will be a really interesting test, I think, this spring as we get, you know, as we hear more about it, as we get a chance to see some glimpses of it leading up to the spring game where I'm assuming Nebraska <laughs> will be pretty vanilla because uh, you can't give away your secrets uh, in, in April, of course. But the hire of Mark Whipple was was really interesting to me because, you know, Nebraska could have gone the route of, like, let's get the the hot name. And I don't mean that Whipple wasn't. He was coming off a great season at Pitt. But, like, let's get let's get Scott Frost. At the time, he went to, to become the head coach at UCF. You know, that, that offensive coordinator who's maybe got some new ideas and is burning up college football. And Nebraska probably could have gone that way. They probably had some conversations with some of those guys. Instead, they ended up going with, you know, a guy who's in his 40-something year of football. I mean, you can just watch him in the press availabilities, and he's like, he's got this totally delightful to me, like, world weariness, I guess, way to put it. Like, he's just like, I've heard all your questions. Like, I've been in the NFL. Like, nothing you guys say is going to surprise me. And, and I like that because it, it, it's an indication to me that, you know, there is a real effort at some change here. Uh, because to just kind of, and, and we'll see. And, and the other piece of it is, like, Scott Frost is still a really good play caller, I think. Um, like, a lot of that offense for Nebraska worked for the past four years. Seemed to me in the passing game in particular, run game was a little bit more hit or miss, but in the passing game in particular, like, guys were open a lot of the time. Like, the concepts were, were strong. So, so how do you meld those two things? And I think getting someone with Whipple, who's kind of been everywhere and seen everything at this point, helps with that because he's not going to be afraid to, like, put his stamp on things where he feels really strongly. But he's also going to know how to to meld a little bit of some things that Nebraska did well. And I think they, you know, offensively in particular, did a lot of things pretty well at the end of the day. Hey, Brandon, I got a quick question to follow up with that and uh, the Whipple thing. I read an article coming out of spring practice and it's a quote from both of them. I mean, Whipple's talking about how, you know, and there's stats to back it up about how he always has kind of a go-to guy and his goal is to get that guy the ball. But then Mickey Joseph, you know, in a way kind of not necessarily backhanded it, but that he's not going to have to do that. My job is to get him nine guys and I'm shortening it down. Um, do you foresee Whipple having to adjust that a little bit, or are we going to have a go-to guy on third and four that we're going to throw 30 yards down the field like he did at Pitt? Yeah, I mean, if, if they are going to have that guy, I don't know who it is yet. 
And and that's being completely honest. Like, you know, Omar Manning is still a lot to like there, but we haven't seen it yet. Same same with Xavier Betts, sort of, but he, he's a little bit earlier in his career. I think Thomas Fedoni still, um, you know, and that's all projection because we haven't seen virtually anything to him. But if he's close to advertised, could be that that kind of player. But but I think some of that with Whipple is is a little bit of a reflection of, uh, you know, where he's coached. And I, I hope that doesn't come across as a slight at Pitt because they just won the ACC. Um, but, you know, it's a place where like, nobody expected to win the ACC going into last year. Um, a lot of people, you know, <laughs> knew, maybe knew of Kenny Pickett uh, because he, he, he was kind of a popular punchline going into that that season and he had a great season. So it might be a little bit of, you know, in thinking about coaching at UMass, you know, it, it, it's tough to get five, six wide receivers where you can just go anywhere and anybody can hurt you at a place like UMass. So if, if Nebraska can get there, I don't have any worries about Whipple adjusting to it. Um, I tell you, it, it would really be nice, I think, for the for the Huskers' fate in 2022 if if they got a little bit of that, of Mickey Joseph is going to get six guys who can hurt you ready to go and they'll all be available. Um, it's been a while since Nebraska's had a go-to guy on offense, um, you know, and, and it's always been a running back. It, it it has, and those are like the first guys that come to mind. Not that you know Kenny Bell or Stanley Morgan or J.D. Spielman those first two years. They they were really really good players, uh, and did some great things for Nebraska. But I'm talking about a guy where it's just like, okay, it's it's third and four. Here's where we're going. And for me, I got to go back to basically Amir Amir Abdullah or Rex Burkhead for yep. that kind of player. Um, and in the past, so, game, it's got to be what Maurice Purify. Yeah, maybe. He was, yeah, I mean, he was a guy, he was kind of that first guy, you know, that was, <laughs> you go back to then, it was still like weird to have Maurice Purify type receivers at Nebraska as we, we are entered into the, the Callahan era and you had that guy, you're like, well, you know, you get in trouble, you just you put it up there and uh, he's down there, he'll go get it. Well, you you got to throw in Westerkamp too. I mean, he kind of became Mr. Reliable on, you know, whether it was short yardage, you know, just whatever you needed to do. And that's, you know, his intangibles kind of were, were, uh, were off the page there too. Um, I'm going to one more quick football specific question as far as positions go. And then I know Zach was going to kind of wrap things up. So we let you get on with your, your evening. Um, considering the, the numbers we talked about before and the irregularities of everything and the, just the, the sheer craziness of it, of it all, special teams. You've got a group that, and you probably know the numbers better than I do, I think averaging, I don't know how many years it's been, averaging less than a yard per return. I mean, just just astonishing numbers that don't speak well for, for what we're doing. If you had to kind of use that, that projection model and, and things like that just for special teams, what, is, what does Coach Bush give that group? Um, I know it, it's a culture piece right now. They, they, they came out Monday, first day of spring practice, and, I, and, and it sounded like their first period was, was special teams. Now, if that's the mindset, if that's the model, maybe it's, it's there to be changed and players are wanting to be there. Is, this, is, this, is it going to turn into, are we going to see this bear some fruit? 
Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, it's it's hard for Nebraska to decline from where they've been recently, but staying the same would would be a loss too, right? Um, so I, I think with Bill Bush's track record, and you know, you bring in a guy like Trey Palmer to to potentially help in the the return game. They obviously really prioritize uh, kicking and punting. When, when looking in the transfer portal. And, you know, those things, you know, I know Frost <laughs> took a little heat during the season when he's like, it's not special teams, it's specialists. I'm paraphrasing there, but you guys probably remember the, the quote. And I was like, yeah, that's that's a quote that's probably not going to play well, but I kind of kind of get what he's saying, particularly in the kicking game. And, I mean, kickoff return in college football has basically been, like, legislated out of the game. Like, I don't, I don't think – I don't even know what you do. I mean, I could look at it and, you know, break down uh, what makes the most sense in terms of, like, expected points. And it would probably be to just bear catch everything. Just start at 25, um, you know, and, and give up the risk of starting inside the 20, which seems to happen a lot when, when Nebraska <laughs> opts, to, opts to return kicks. So that piece of it's out there. But the thing with special teams is yeah, – it's such a signifier, I think, of kind of like the overall health of the team culture because it, it's largely an effort and attention to detail thing. And Nebraska, it, 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 they haven't had it. And, you know, it, it gives me pause when considering those pieces of it because it's tough to, it's tough to assess culture from the outside when you, you know, you don't see everything. So, Hiring a, spe- a full-time special teams coach, which maybe I'm unpopular opinion alert, like I was on the fence about, you know, I look at special teams as like the gaps and the winds are always super, super noticeable. But when you, you factor in how, you know, how much those players are on the field and, and what it takes to, to get that, like I would have a hard time if I were a head coach saying immediately yes to a special teams coach as we've gone on and I, you know, had the opportunity to, to listen to Bill Bush speak a little bit, I think it was the right move for, for Nebraska because, you know, I mean, but the weaknesses there are, are pretty glaring. So what would it, you know, if Bill Bush comes in and gets Nebraska back to average, you know, to put this in a numerical perspective, it's probably worth, you know, I would say a net of two points to their, their total point scoring differential, which may not sound like a ton, but, you know, that's in some cases the difference between eight and four and six and six or six and six and four and eight. No, I agree. Like you said, it's kind of the, um, I, I guess it's the character of your team, the special teams units. It's, if you're all the way bought in, I mean, your special teams is usually a pretty good unit. Um, it, it, it's tough to have had to actually watch that special teams unit the last few years because you can tell that the details are just not there unfortunately um and and i really do think the staff changes have really kind of amplified everything to where everybody knows hey do your job if you do your job your buddy will as well and we're, we're gonna do a lot better this year yeah i would agree i it, it's a really good test case because you know to win games consistently, I really think you you can't focus on just like, hey, let's go out and win this game. It, it really becomes, and you know, and this was Nebraska, you know, for 
25 years under Tom Osborne, it's like you got to focus on the things that lead to winning. And like, I mean, Bill Walsh has a book called The Score Takes Care of Itself. And I, I really do believe that. And, you know, so much for Nebraska over these past four years has been like, oh, well, you know, we just we lost a close one to Colorado or the Akron game got canceled. Fast momentum right away. Or we lost to Illinois four years later. And, you know, that was a tough break. And I, I agree. Those things are real. But it, it indicates to me, like, they're still trying to figure out of how, like, you translate the micro focus it takes to really build a sustainable and winning program um, and translate that into what they need to get done this year. And, you know, and that'll be a big challenge going into 2022 as well. No, that's, that's, that's perfect. Um, I, you know, Brandon, with your, with your, uh, what, I, what I was reading earlier today, it looked like it was projected at 7.6 wins. So since it's preseason and everything, what, uh, what are you thinking for a win total on the season? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'd probably be at seven. So if I had to take an under over under on that 7.6, I'd go under. But I, I think seven is fair. A lot of it's going to depend on, of course, the start to the season. I mean, you know, Nebraska's had this for the past couple of years and they get some of their work in early. Um, and if they do that, like, I think you got a chance to, to have a pretty good year. Um, so. I would right now be probably in the six, seven win range. And if, if Nebraska does that, in my mind, that would be enough kind of sign of progress for me to be like, well, let's see where it can go from there. No, that's perfect. I think that's where a lot of fans have is a six to seven win range. Um, some of us crazier ones are in the eight. I, I, I personally am in the eight win, but I, you know, the ball I think can bounce in the right direction for once for us. So fingers crossed there. Um, you know, I just wanted to get everything wrapped up real quick. Um, you know, obviously, Hail Varsity, fabulous website. If you're not subscribed already, please subscribe. A lot of great journalists there. Uh, Dream Like a Champion, book with John Cook. If you don't have it, please buy it. Phenomenal book. Um, you know, we wanted to get you out here. We want to thank you for your time tonight, uh, Brandon. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much. And we look forward to more of your writings. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. It's a fun time. Perfect. Well, thanks for uh, Drake, Fitz, and myself, and uh, we'll go ahead and sign off. Thanks uh, again, everybody. Members of the congregation, let's raise our Kool-Aid-filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red. <laughs>